Welcome to episode 611 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It's Halloween. It's a, a Wednesday here. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined by Justin Mason. Justin, what are you being for Halloween? A sleep-deprived father? <laughs> Pretty and, much. Uh, uh, yeah, I moved in August, and then everything with my, my wife and my kid happened uh, in the midst of trying to finish unpacking my house. And so my Halloween stuff is like super packed away. I may put on my old army uniform, though like I doubt it. it fits really well. That'll make it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I could be like Jack Black from uh, uh, <laughs> Tropic Thunder or something like yeah. that. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, I'll actually be dressing up as Squints from the Sandlot again tonight. Mm-hmm. We dressed up over the weekend. Uh, my girlfriend and I will be Squints and Wendy at Trivia tonight, going for three in a row. No big deal. No big deal. Which relax. pretty much means you're not dressing up because all it is I- is like a baseball jersey and you. Precisely. I saw I'll be going as myself. But you know what? Your Works girlfriend will be dressed up. So that's She'll cool. be dressed up. It'll be great. Uh, it'll be pictures on, on Twitter if you're interested in such a thing. Uh, we're going to talk some pitchers. Our last time out, we talked a lot of a lot of hitters, and it was fun. In the interim here, um, I've released my top 100, and so we put together a handful of names that we want to talk about, some some guys of note. I put a couple on uh, on the front there, and then I want to get some of your, your picks of guys you want to talk about that should be higher or lower. So uh, let's just jump into it. Let's talk about Noah Syndergaard. I got him at nine, and I put him on just, you know, I put the, the, the first three names I put on just because I thought they'd be interesting to talk about. And it was interesting. The first thing you did when you went, I said, oh, go, go get like five names off the top 100 that you think would be interesting. You said without looking at the rundown, you're like, oh, Noah Syndergaard, I got to talk about him. He's too high. So you, you think he's a little high at nine. I can understand that as I've as the list has settled. I already know he's going to move down a little bit. But I think the lowest I'm really getting Syndergaard is like 12, 13. I'm not, I'm not sending him way down. I'm just probably sending Snell and another guy we're going to talk about up a little bit. And that's the only thing that's going to really move Syndergaard down. I'm still fully invested here, but you felt maybe nine was a little bit high. Where are you coming out of a 154-inning season with a 303 ERA, 121 whip, and the strikeouts down a little bit, a career low 24% or 9.0 per nine? Noah Syndergaard. Let me start off by saying I haven't done my ranks yet for starting pitcher. I hopefully will be done with them by the time we talk again after uh, you go to first pitch. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can do – we'll do a little comparison or something like that like you did with Nick and we've done before. Yeah, that'll uh, be great. So, you know, just looking at your ranks, like the spot that really makes sense is dropping him to 12. Okay, uh, And that's because you have almost like a little mini tier right there of high upside injury prone guys in yeah, Paxton, that's true. Carrasco uh, and uh, in Strasburg right there. And so he obviously has, I think, the highest upside of that group. But uh, for me, it's the innings. When I take a guy as a top 10 pitcher, I want to get innings from them, especially in today's day and age when you know you're not going to get a lot of innings from a lot of other guys. It was another year in which uh, we had, I believe, the lowest amount of starting pitchers qualify for the ERA uh, title in, uh, you know, since I've been tracking them the last six years. So it was really close to last year, but still, I think, down one. Uh, from, 57 from qualified and then um, just last 13. year was 58 and then the year before was like 70 something and then like 80 something so it's it's gone down every year over the last six seasons uh, and so innings are at a premium and if you can get a guy who's a 200 inning guy and delivering you good stuff it's it, it's extremely valuable and that's what I want if I'm going to take a pitcher that high I may not take a pitcher that high and I may dip into that tier uh, for my starting pitcher one but I think Syndergaard, I'm going to be priced out on because people still believe, uh, and I'm that that he's going to kind of return to that top of the you know ace pile, uh, and I'm just not believing that at this point. It was just 13 pitchers with 200 innings last year, easily uh, the lowest we've seen in a, a long time. Honestly, I only went back to 2009. Just did a quick 10 year rundown. And it was easily the lowest, um, 17 and 16, each had 15. They easily stand out um, because the next lowest after those the last three years is 2015 at 28. So we can see it's going down. I would present that as a counterpoint, though, 
that you don't need Syndergaard or uh, guys that you're taking that early to log the 200 innings, that that 165 at the right quality, which weren't necessarily there for Thor last year because the strikeouts were down in the whip at 121 was also a career high by a pretty good bit. Um, he's a career 113 even with the 121. So coming into last year, eyeballing it, he was probably like a 107. So that was well off of his career mark there for Thor. But... I don't think you necessarily need the innings. He does need to improve, though. He does need to get back to the level that we'd seen in 15 through 17 for Thor and stay healthy. And that's really the key. And we don't know what the health is going to be like. And that's why I'm probably going to bump him down a little bit uh, for a couple it, guys that are right that's below. Scary. I, I think he, uh, you know, another year removed from the, the big issue, injury issues that uh, plagued him last season. Mm-hmm. Uh I think he'll I think I'm I'm less worried that things will be nagging necessarily. For me it's just there is such a low floor with him because we could see a 2017. Like that's 30 in, innings, yeah. Yeah, that's in the range of possibilities and that that ruins you if that's supposed to be the guy who's your anchor unless you you know luck into a Blake Snell type situation. Yeah, you get one of those guys that uh, that popped late. I'm actually going to be writing a piece here soon where I kind of look at um, some of the guys who could bounce up from uh, rank Gibson. 40 and later. Uh, no, no, that guy was basic as can be. Look, you know, looking at his. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it. You're not going <laughs> to goad me into that right now. Uh, but no, I was looking any minute. at the top 25. No, I, I, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that we're doing it today. Uh, the funny thing is, though, there are actually landscapers outside. Uh, we'll see if they. Him? We'll see if they fire it up. Yes, yes, he's he's uh, he's dressed as, as he's unrecognizable. I, I I didn't even know it was him. If I didn't see his car, I wouldn't have known it was him. Uh, but I was looking at the top twenty-five on ESPN's Player Raider for starting pitchers, and their uh, the, I, I took a group of of guys that were taken uh, among the fortieth pitcher or later. And I say pitcher, not starter, because NFBC puts SPs and RPs together. So it's a little bit uh, jumbled there. I don't have like a great one, but the highest one uh, from that group was Trevor Bauer at 48. And even if there's 10 closers there, he's like, he's like right there at the, at the 40 mark. Uh, and then several other guys, you're looking at Snell, Corbin, Michaelis, uh, Fulte, Clev. I mean, just the, the, the group that I p- plucked, 12 of them were taken 40th or later, and their average draft position was 131. So if you spike one of those guys, you can take a hit on somebody like a Thor. But the idea is to spike one of those guys and get your greatness from Thor, and that really sets up your pitching. So, yeah, he'll probably bump down just a little on the next update uh, coming in December as I as I study a bunch of things. But uh, I don't hate having them there at 9, and I do think people will take him as high as 9, maybe 8, and I'm not going to, to bash it. Uh, let's move on to the next guy here. And it is Trevor Bauer, who, you know, is probably a little under the radar for this tier, only because he didn't end his season pitching. Uh, He had such a brilliant season, but then ended up uh, missing time because he got hit by that by that comebacker and ended up, what, missing the last month plus two months almost. Uh, He was in the playoffs, right? Yeah, but he was bad. He was bad in the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. He threw four innings, uh, pretty bad start, you know, seven hits, four runs, four strikeouts and a walk. So that's not memorable at all. The fact is he'd been pitching so, so well um, and missed, basically missed a, a month and a half from August 11th to September 21st. Did finish the season on the, the regular season on the field, but it was uh, a couple disjointed starts and, and a four inning relief appearance. So it, that kind of pushed him down the radar, I think, to remember of what he did. 221 ERA, 109 whip, um, huge strikeout rate, uh, NL best, or excuse me, American League best, 0.5 homers per nine. Homers had been a little bit of an issue for Bauer, so he put together some really good things here. I know uh, Jason Collette's really excited with what he did. He's been buying into Bauer now for a couple of years, and that paid dividends. How do you feel about Trevor Bauer uh, as a top 12 guy now, are, are we, did we see the emergence and now he can kind of plateau here? Maybe not at a 221-109 ERA whip, but is he a solid low threes guy now for you with Trevor Bauer? I, I mean, I, I believe everything that he did. The problem is, and this is, uh, 
this is what we we've talked about uh, quite a bit with with Bauer uh, during the course of this breakout is I don't know if I can trust him to sustain. He, he's mm-hmm. a tinkerer and he's going to go and do stuff in the off season and he's going to mess around with things because that's what he always does. And does he shelve the things that got him to where he's at? Yeah. Because we've seen this in smaller spurts, obviously not over the course of a full season from Bauer, but we've seen moments in which you're like, okay, he's figured this out. And then a few starts later, it's like, okay, he he stopped doing exactly what made him successful. I, I have faith that he will be a top 20 guy for me coming into drafts. I, I don't think I can take him in the top 12. And that it's hard because there is like this drop-off for me. I know you put your tier at Strasburg. Mm-hmm. I think my tier ends, my, my first tier kind of ends with, with Blake Snell and Norris Syndergaard out of it. So it's like 10, ten pitchers. Yeah, there, there might actually be a, a higher one there uh, with the more stable. These guys have really, really aced out for multiple times. Even though Coles weren't consecutive, he had a couple years ago where he was excellent. And then this year, you know, he might be in there. Uh, and then you put the cap at like nine or 10 and start a new one. But yeah, I was all the way down at 15. I, I, I worry about him a little bit. I, I put him at 12 with Bauer. The strikeouts, uh, I do feel confident in that. We, we'd seen strikeout capability, and yet it never really came together until last year when he put up 10, 10.0 uh, or a 26% rate. But he only had a 9% swing strike rate. In fact, that was kind of his career mark. And it's like, what's going on here? Because when you watch Bauer on on his good days, he can strike out uh, 10, 12, easy, in five innings even. Like, he's that kind of guy. And I was just like, why doesn't – yeah, why doesn't it ever fully come together? It did last year. 13% swinging strike, 31% strikeout rate. You mentioned the tinkering, though. He does like to alter things. Hopefully he doesn't try to fix what isn't broken because – I mean, everything was skills supported with what he did last year. He still walked 8%, which is a little on the higher end. I don't hate that, though, because that's, that means he's not giving in. We talk about that a lot on the show about guys who have home run issues but have great walk rates. It's like Maybe sometimes you don't uh, have to be so uh, so much to avoid the walk. You can give a walk and, and get the next guy out instead of giving up easy pitches that might be hit out for homers. And so um, he he kept the walk rate the same, but really cut into the homers. So Bauer's an interesting one. I think he could spike as high as going nine ten uh, in in draft. Maybe even maybe even seven eight for for a true believer. You know, interesting to see is high how high Colette would take him. He, we got He's it, the anti. Uh, Walker Bueller, though, I think, in terms of where his value will be. The stock? Yeah, because I think after the playoffs, everybody, even though Bueller wasn't great all the way through the playoffs, uh, and he definitely had his struggles. He left a mark, though. He left a mark, and people talked about him constantly and how great his stuff is. And and that has an impact. Well, I tell you, uh, I I keep saying that the the Atlanta start is as impressive as, as... as a bad start can be because he settled down and threw three perfect innings after the awful second inning for Bueller. That was so impressive to me. So uh, I agree. I do think that, you know, he's got like double green arrows, whereas Bauer probably has a a single red arrow going down a little bit because he didn't pitch well in his one playoff start. uh, Didn't really pitch much in the final month plus of the season. And so he's a little bit hidden so maybe you're right he gets pushed down as opposed to pushed up and that could make him a little bit more of an interesting value all right let's move on to uh another guy who definitely has a green arrow uh got the playoff monkey off his back david price really uh stepped up there you know still had his chronic struggles against uh new york i'm apparently you know struggling against him for 119 innings and is not uh, a big enough sample I still think it's a, a problem when he faces New York. And then but it's a problem well. when anybody faces New York. I mean, New that, York is fair. a powerful team. So, like, I'm that's not going to. But even the one good outing that he had against them this year, if you look at it, uh, the, there were still poor elements. It looked like he was getting out of uh, out of a lot of trouble there. Babbitt was down. Uh, base runners were still up. I just I don't trust Price against New York until I see something turn. Part of it because it's just New York. But I do think some of it's intent. Nevertheless, then he comes out, 
gives up four and four and two thirds against Houston. You're like, oh my God, these playoff struggles, they're they're just here to stay with him. I thought his playoff struggles were a little bit more valid uh, in terms of uh, a, a longer term issue than Kershaw's because we really hadn't seen Not a anymore. lot. Not anymore. And it can flip on a dime. And we saw his final 20 innings in the playoffs, which included uh, three brilliant starts and a uh, two thirds of, of, of an inning relief appearance. 19 and two, it was 20, it was not 20 innings, it was 19 and two thirds, 10 hits, three runs, six walks, 19 strikeouts. He was just fantastic. And uh, like I said, really got the monkey off his back. I wish he would have won the MVP. That would have just, I, I, I understand why they gave it to Pierce, but. So do I, but but he was right there. He was right there. Like, that would have been If it's a narrative-driven thing, and that's what a lot of these wards are, narrative-driven, why yep. not just give it to the guy who has come in and been the GOAT for this team for the last year. A lowercase goat. And yes. then this year was uh, was the champion. It was awesome. And I've always liked David Price. I was happy to see him find that success, get that title. Definitely somebody who, you know, carries that stuff with him, the, the negative stuff. And, and it, it motivated him. Uh, obviously, he wanted to be good no matter what. I'm not saying he needed that motivation to go out there and be great. But uh, things broke his way not only did he pitch well but everything worked his way it was awesome um do you think he moves up from this 19 ranking like where, where do you think he's gonna go because um, you mentioned Bueller. i've got him right behind Bueller. are they both gonna jump up maybe top 15 or does the market still be uh act a little bit more cautiously with price i gotta figure out where i had him in the in the two early mocks um i should have probably had that open when uh we started but uh i i feel like I got mocked, uh, no pun intended, um, when I took him in these two early mocks, uh, and people were people were like, "What are you, What are you doing? Why are, Why are you drafting David Price so early?" So I, I want to trying to find it real quick. Of course, Smata just loads this thing with so much information that uh, uh, it's hard to search through. <laughs> uh, so let's see. David Price uh, went pick. Uh, 78.2 on average. Okay. Uh, behind, of course, there's no starting pitch. Right in front of Jack Flaherty. Uh, looks like behind Walker Bueller, though, quite a ways. Almost almost around. Well, around, <sighs> around in terms of a 12-team draft. Yeah. Uh, so Bueller was already seeing the stock pushed up, and that's going to go higher. I took him 58th overall uh, in, in in one of the two early mocks. I'm a price backer. I, I, I mean, as a, as a fantasy ace. He was, yeah. he was great. I mean, he, he was limiting hard contact. He was getting swings and misses, uh, getting people to chase outside of the zone. Uh, put up, I want to say, a three or close to it uh, ERA in the second half. Oh, 2.25 ERA in the second half. Uh, nine strikeouts per nine. So uh, he was he was fantastic in the second half, and I don't think people realized it because Boston had kind of run away with things, and people mm-hmm. weren't as focused on them as they were focused on other races uh, in in Major League Baseball and in the American League. So I really like David Price. It's you know, I'm very happy for him, and I'm I'm super happy as a Giants fan that the the Dodgers lost another World Series. Uh, I'm super bummed that his price is not going to be cheaper. Uh, no, because I really felt anything, like we were going to get a discount, and I, I agree with you. I think he will be one of those guys that rises a little bit after this World Series, uh, and he could jump a Clevenger, he could jump a, a Zach Greinke, uh, and kind of push his way up into the top fifteen. Uh, at that price, I'm probably going to be out, uh, but I don't. I, it's going to just depend, I think, draft to draft if he ends up on teams of mine. Uh, I, I really like what he did. I really felt like this was a, a nice bounce back year after dealing with injuries uh, and things that kind of tampered down his value, but no discount. Yeah, I, no discount for David Price, but I do think there'll be rooms where he's uh, toward the latter end of his ADP. Obviously, I mean, because that's how an average works is uh, you might still be able to get him around pick 80 or whatever. And I'm definitely jumping there. He was pick 103 on average in the NFBC. So the price tag isn't jumping, isn't shooting up sky high when as I, late as 106 in the two early mocks yeah i think that's about the latest that you'll get 
and uh, of course I'm in on that. So I like David Price. Uh, good good stuff from him out of the in the playoffs. There, it's amazing how the narrative can turn. Because like I said, through the first two starts, it was same old, same old. This guy can't pitch in the playoffs, and that's why you want to be careful pushing those narratives because they can flip on a dime. And you can say he's struggled here, but that's different than saying he cannot pitch in the playoffs. And and I think that's the point that those who push back on it are trying to say is don't write this guy off, especially a, a, a superstar like David Price. Go look at his, his career track record. This guy's been elite. Don't push back so far to say he can't do it. He can't flip this. He flipped it on a dime within a particular playoff where he'd already started poorly. All right, now we're going to get into the five guys that, that you wanted to talk about here. And uh, you mentioned Madison Bumgarner. I said, oh, great. Let's get the San Francisco homer to talk about Bumgarner and, and tell us all to take him. And you said, no, sir, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to say push him down further. I've got him at, what, 23 right now? Let me see. Yeah, 23rd for Madison Bumgarner. You're thinking lower? I am. I just – and he was better in towards the end of the season than he was when he first started pitching in June mm-hmm. uh, after coming back from the injury. Uh, but he's never fully regained the form since that ATV accident last year. And he, he doesn't look the same. He struggles with his control uh, at times. Uh, I'm – this was a guy that was a top tier pitcher largely based on the amount of volume he delivered at such That's a true. high quality level. And you know who he is? He's his era's uh, Adam Wainwright in that regard. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have overpowering stuff. He's just, he's very good with, or he, he's been very good with the command and the control uh, uh, from the left hand side, benefits from the park. Uh, these are all things that could be disappearing and appear to be disappearing. He gave up the largest hard contact percentage of his career, and it wasn't even close this year, and it wow. got worse in the last few months of the season to the point where I believe I just had it up. I believe it was like 47% from August on hard contact Ooh, percentage. So, that's rough. And we're talking about a guy who's in the last year of his deal with the Giants, the Giants are garbage. They're going to have to move him. So you're worried get out of that park because the park's mm-hmm. supposed to protect him. Yes. And it's not. And then all of a sudden we're looking at a guy who is being hit hard. He's not being saved by that park. Yeah. Uh, this could be really ugly. I mean, he, he had a 41 or a 35, almost 36% fly ball percentage. You add that with a 47 hard contact percentage and, uh, uh, and from August on. You put him in uh, – let's talk about like some of the locations that are going to be looking for top-tier starting pitcher pitching and have assets to trade. And the first one that jumps off your mind is New York. Is that like – is that going to end well for a guy like Madison Bumgarner? I don't think so, it will. So what are we thinking? Uh, he had a three – like three two three ERA or three what was it three thirty two three twenty six ERA this year three thirty two last year so now we're looking if you look back to seventeen eighteen and smash them together you got three twenty nine ERA one seventeen WHIP uh, uh, for Madison Bumgarner over the course of two hundred and forty one innings now where you really come down is it's a twenty one percent strikeout rate which is pretty bland and if he's not getting like you said to the volume piece. Um, it's not that he's had bad strikeout rates, but it hasn't been like the top of the heap premium elite uh, when he was back the, the the three years before that. It was very good. Again, it was just not the the highest going. But when you talk about the innings that he was putting up, he was still getting a boatload of strikeouts, 219, 234, 251 because of the innings he was pitching. It was still a 27% strikeout rate, so it was still pretty good. I'm thinking of uh, the years before that, actually, when he was in more of the 20 one to 24 percent range but anyway the bottom line is he's back down there he's 22 and then last year was um the, his second worst ever at just 20 percent for Bumgarner, with the walk rate shooting up to eight percent as well the uh swinging strike rates is in a three-year decline it's gone down from from 15 to 16 16 17 and then last year uh down to a what's that eight-year low yes yeah, seven-year low so there are warning signs, and I think your biggest point is if is if he falls out uh, or if he gets traded out, 
that's dangerous because I do think a lot of people will still draft Bumgarner thinking, you know what, he might not be elite, but he's going to be protected by that home park, and heaven forbid he goes to a more offensive area. Uh, ballpark that would be scary for Bumgarner. So where are you? I know you haven't done your rankings, but eyeballing it, where do you think? Where do you think he's going to go? I would probably drop him outside of my top thirty. Uh, I mean, obviously, you got you you and I are probably pretty close to having the same top twenty, and then I think we were going to vary quite a bit. So I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get there eventually, but. Uh, I mean, there are definitely guys. I, I'm dropping and buying Jack Flaherty. I'm dropping and buying Carlos Martinez. Wow. Uh, I'm probably dropping him below Ross Stripling. Depending, I mean, it's a lot of Stripling, Stripling. Can, can depend largely on whether or not he's got a guaranteed rotation spot. But I feel like he should. Uh, so I'm guessing he's going to be 30 to 35. Wow, okay, okay. Which, uh, again, is going to be one of those kind of, well, that puts me out on Bumgarner. Sure, they're because gonna people be are going to pay. People who pay for the name value, pay it because he's a winner, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, will l- say, well, he's finally healthy. Uh, he, he went as late as 102 in one of the mocks, though. That surprises me because uh, that's far and away the lowest. Otherwise, it's 51, 70, 71, 69, nice, 59, 48, 53, 39. So that 102 really sticks out there for Bumgarner. The average there is 62. Um, and if you're if you're you're 100% right, if you're slotting him there, you're just not getting Bumgarner. All right, well, let's uh, – Let's move on. Let's talk about Herman Marquez, who we did talk about a little bit when we were discussing the mocks. Uh, I ended up with him as a, as a top 25 guy. It's always scary for a Colorado guy to be that high because that park just breeds such volatility. But he had such an amazing second half. It was just absolutely incredible what Marquez was doing. It, he could have been pitching anywhere. He could have been pitching in some of the PCL parks, and he'd have been getting guys out. Um, I was just really impressed. Um, that's what I was hoping for earlier in the year. I'm not okay. I'm not going to get into it again about how I got him. Uh, we're, we're not going to do that. Going to be 24 next year, by the way. Still super young. Love what Marquez is doing. Top 25 for me. What do you think about Herman uh, Marquez going into next year? This is hard because I I had shares thanks largely thanks to Jason who was super high on him in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I had shares of him, and I only started him on the road through the first half. So, like, I didn't get a lot of those really bad blowups. Uh, no one likes a braggart, Justin. <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was really beneficial for me. At the same time, I struggle with the idea of having a guy in Colorado in the top twenty-five. It's it, and I didn't want to put Freeland on this list. Uh, when we were kind of talking it over, but he's another guy that I just don't know that I can put him as high as 44 on the li- on my list, and th- I'm, I may eat my words when I actually do my list because you look at some of the names around him, you go, ooh, gross. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I just don't know that I can take Marquez in the top 25. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes in drafts as drafts start going, because I think there is going to be a large contingent of the industry uh, that are willing to put him up there. And yeah, uh, I think then the, I think there's going to be other people who are a lot more tentative. And I think there's, I think he's going to be one of those guys that has a huge gap between his max and min picks. And so I think I will end up with shares, uh, but there, there is a huge downside here and that. You know, that is something that I think you have to be prepared that you may have to do what I did last year and only get 140 innings of the 170 or 190 that he pitches. Sure. Because you're you're only using him on the road and then streaming in nice starts in Colorado. So uh, I love the skills. I love what we saw last year. I wish he pitched in a different park um, so I could feel more comfortable because I think if he pitched in – uh, if he pitched in just a neutral park, if he was yeah, like literally anywhere else, yeah, literally anywhere else, uh, I would probably put him in my top twenty to fifteen. Yeah, I mean, just because on raw skills alone, you're looking at a twenty eight percent strikeout rate, seven percent walk rate for Marquez, a ground ball lean, 
Um, you know, I feel like if you take Marquez, you have to double him up with someone who has got a really safe floor. Yeah, because you like because if you are going to if you are going to kind of curate his innings, you need to make those innings up yeah. elsewhere. Verlander um, Marquez is uh is an interesting combo. A lot of K's there. Uh, a lot of K's. But I mean safety. Like you know Ver, as long as Verlander is healthy, um, he's gonna be good. And doesn't file for social security or something like that. He's gonna he's gonna be watch good. it. <laughs> watch it. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be great. Verlander, he's gonna Slander. be just this stabilizing force, and he can offset any damage that Marquez could potentially do to you. And then if Marquez clicks again like he did last year or this year, uh, then you've just solidified yourself with two top, you know, fifteen pitchers. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what I really liked was the the emergence of that slider uh, for Marquez. That was a that was a big key. It was introduced a little bit in 2017, only four percent thrown. This year, jumped up to 16 percent, and the pitch value was 11.2. I mean, it really became a weapon, particularly in that second half when he really took off uh, and just was an absolute monster. So he's got he doesn't have like a true reliable changeup. I mean, you know, he throws one like five, six percent of the time, but the two breaking balls are are different. The yeah, slider curveball combo. Great, but yeah, yeah. the slider and the curve are just they're nasty and they keep hitters off balance and they allow him to throw those those, you know, less than average pitches. Uh I mean, obviously he's thrown ninety fives with a fastball, so I mean that helps too. But uh I don't know. I just I think this like the smart move is to rank him where you're ranking him, and my heart doesn't know if it can handle. Because I think people will really start to panic if he has a couple bad starts. For sure, because you're going to start to use Colorado and, and just really freak out on Marquez. Let's see where he's he was going. It's the whole going. narrative, and you know how much I hate narratives, and I do. Uh, but that's one that really sticks is that Colorado is a crappy place to pitch. Which is uh, brutal. It's tough on guys. But, uh, you know, like I said, could have been pitching on the moon in the second half of last year, and it would have worked. Uh, we'll see We'll see where he goes. 117 was his mock price there. Uh, going to do a draft on Friday. Going to be interested to see where guys a guy like that goes. We'll definitely talk about it on the pod. I'm super um, interested. I'm doing a 30-team dynasty draft. Holy moly. Uh, we, we, I, I, I've brought on about 40 people over to Friends of Fantasy Benefits as staff. Uh, in the last month, uh, and so we've put together this 30-team super deep dynasty league. I'm interested I'll to see say. where a 23-year-old Marquez goes. Yeah, for sure. Startup dynasty. That's going to be really interesting. All right, let's move on to our next guy here. Uh, we've got Jose Barrios. Um, he hasn't really been talked about a lot yet uh, in our off season. Definitely somebody who uh, is going to have his his backers. I'm still a fan. Um, I don't. I guess I only. Uh, ranked him, what was it, 37th? Yeah, 37th. He's in that tier, though, that could stretch as high as 29th. Can definitely see myself in scenarios, particularly if I'm like in that in that 24 to 40 range, looking to get two guys, uh, pairing him up with with guys I like in that tier, like Luis Castillo. I didn't know if you guys know I like him. Uh, Ross Stripling, Nathan Eovaldi, depending on where he lands, Carlos Martinez. So Barrios had an interesting year, though. The the Frustrating thing about him is is the volatility. If you kind of look at his game log, his April really, really kind of uh, is a good microcosm of that volatility. Opens with a shutout. Very next start, four and two-thirds, five runs. 14 innings of shutout ball, uh, seven innings apiece against the White Sox and Cleveland. Then goes to New York, five runs in four innings. Then uh, hosts Cincy, three innings, four runs. Uh, so a 363 in that month, despite three shutout outings, one a true shutout, and then the two seven innings, because the other three were so bad. And again, that really gets to the volatility of what we saw from him this year. It was really frustrating. Can he curb that volatility and really push himself into top 25 or beyond? Because he had seven starts of five earned runs or more, and then a few really bad four-run ones because they were only in three or four innings. So where are you on Jose Barrios going into next year, and, and, and what do you think the legitimate ceiling is? I think he has a ceiling of a top 20 pitcher. And I think it's, I think it's possible. And. You know, one of the things that we don't see in his overall numbers that we really struggled with 
uh, towards the end of the season was walks. Uh, you know, pe- people are going to look at his walks per nine and be like, oh, 2.85, that's that's not bad. He really struggled uh, in, in in the second half mm-hmm. uh, with walks. His, he walked over four per nine uh, from the All-Star break on. Uh, and that was mainly his undoing. In spite of that, uh, and in spite of two just really bad outings in the second half that really weighed him down, uh, he put up good skills, <laughs> striking people out. Um, I I believe the talent is there. I think he is just some consistency in his mechanics away from uh, really putting things all together. Mm-hmm. And I just may, – maybe this is – still believing a little bit too much in, in the prospect pedigree that we had. Uh, and maybe it's not wanting to quit a guy that I've been on for a very long time. Uh, but I'm going to have him inside my top 30, which means I'm going to have him above Bumgarner, which seems crazy, but I'm going to do it. I, I, I can't, I can't fully push back on that. Like I said, I've got him lower at 37, but I've, I've been a Barrios backer. The volatility did bother me. But you look at the bottom line numbers, you still see skills that were the best of his career with strikeout rate, uh, walk rate, swinging strike. Obviously came on his BB if both of the components were the best. Hits per nine. Uh, everything was good there. The home runs were a little bit up at 1.2. And if you can kind of smooth that out a little bit, I think we could still see. You know, he ended up with basically the same ERA, 389 last year, 384 this year. This guy, Barrios, at age 25, could definitely emerge, have his breakout season, and be like a, a three even with, uh, you know. Innings too, which love that. Is, Lo- love the innings there. Especially with the strikeout boost mm-hmm. uh, that we saw over the course of the whole year, but really in the second half. Uh, you know, I really want to talk about Jeff Sermarja, but I didn't put him on the list because you guys talked about him <laughs> on, on the on – the, uh, the fireside chat. Um, we did. I really wanted to push back on you and your and, and your just uh, atrocious portrayal of, of Jeff Sermarja. Um, so, guess but, I got too burned. Guess I got too burned by him, man. I've been, I've been a believer. I have. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, I think we were both big believers coming into yep. the season, and I think I was a bigger believer, and it really burned me, uh, and it sunk a lot of my teams. Uh, well, it helps sink a lot of my teams. Obviously, uh, one one pitcher, you know, your third starting pitcher is not going to be the reason you don't win sure. leagues. But uh, I think people, while the numbers weren't great in like 2017, he was still a top. I'm bringing it up right now. Top, I believe a top 20 or ton, tw- top 25 player on the player Raider mm-hmm. uh, in 2017. Okay. And it was largely because of the amount of innings he threw. Yes. With the strikeouts, uh, and yes, the ERA and the WHIP weren't great, um, but the, the strikeouts were there, innings were there, and I think Barrios has the ability to do that at least. At least he's going to deliver you 200 innings next year with a good strikeout rate, and I think there is a ceiling of putting the rest together to make him jump up into an elite status. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one I'm not going to push back much on with uh, with Rios because I really like him as well, um, and so I could totally see that he just happened to fall a little bit lower this year because of some other guys that I liked. But but even with some reshuffling, some more analysis, I could see him bumping as high as you know the high 30s instead of the the late 30s at, at 37 with Rios. Uh, so for the last two here, we we jumped down a little bit first with Andrew Heaney, um, who I've got 54th. He had a, he had a pretty good season overall. Uh, there was some volatility with that uh, with, with his season as well. But I think things went a little bit hidden there. The the superstars got the, their attention there with Otani, Trout, and even Angelton Simmons. But I think there were some other guys that were a little bit hidden. Heaney put up a nice 180 inning season coming off of just devastating injuries where he wound up pitching just 28 total innings in 2016-17 combined. Uh, nothing really to concern yourself with because even the samples are too small to care about the results this year 180 innings 415 era 120 whip uh a strikeout per inning on the dot with 180 strikeouts he looks pretty good now is this time to take off uh or you see him jumping further or was he somebody you wanted to put further back down after no, from 54? i want to put him further up i was a big heaney guy coming into the year 
Uh, I rode that train. Yes, he was bad in the second half, and it was all home run related. Uh, he really struggled with the home run ball uh, after the beginning of August, uh, giving up uh, 1.7 home runs per nine. He was also super unlucky, though, uh, in terms of his BABIP, uh, which went out of control. And like you said, this is a guy that went from pitching, what, like 20 innings the year before to pitching 180 innings because the Angels had no one left to throw. Well, that's the thing, too. Yeah, they were so injury-ravaged that they had to go for him Mm -hmm. uh, and just let him keep going. And so I kind of expect him to miss his spots and not be as crisp and sharp. But, man... He was fantastic uh, the majority of the season. Uh, I think he. I think people forget that he was one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball uh, mm-hmm. before the Tommy John. Well, before being traded twice in one day in the Tommy John surgery. So, uh, I he, he's only twenty seven. Uh, he's gonna be on a pretty good team uh, in, in LA, and I think uh, I think I'm gonna have a ton of shares, and I I'm gonna have him probably inside my top 40. Okay. So. That'll be that'll be a big boost. Like I said I got him 54th and and I'm pro. So for you to jump him up there that's going to be a that's going to be an aggressive move there and, and maybe we'll get maybe we'll deep dive into him a little bit more when we talk about our our rankings disputes or at least highlight that hey yeah we talked about him in this episode and now with your rankings done we see that you're x amount of ranks higher. So that's Andrew Heaney. I think I'll be getting uh, shares of him as well, even with where I have him ranked. You're obviously going to be getting a ton of shares if you've got him uh, top 40. All right, then the last guy, I love this guy too, and he's he's guaranteed going up because I've already done some research uh, on some things I like on him, and it's Jimmy Nelson, who I have 82nd, and obviously injury loss season because the NL's stupid and pitcher's bad, and uh, he was on base, and uh, I think there was I like a pickoff you, throw. I around on, on- – uh, on the DH in, in the National League. That's fantastic to hear. Because I, I've been a – personally, I, I prefer the National League game. And if, if it was completely up to me, I'd rather have uh, I'd rather have the pitcher hit in both leagues. But that's never going to happen. And no. If anything, it's going to go the other way. The, the argument that finally won it over for me was I was listening to uh, – uh, our, our buddies Doug Thorburn and Sammy Reed on the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast, and they they were mm-hmm. discussing this, and uh, they brought up a point that I just had never really thought about before: is what sport in all of sports has two different rules for conferences? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Because like just think a, about it. If it's they a each... ridiculous premise. Yes. Just think about AFC, NFC having something different. Uh, East-West in, in the uh, yeah. NBA, maybe the three-point line was like Yeah, like there's no kickers in the, in the NFC, but yeah. there's kickers in the AFC. It makes no that, sense. That's actually the best. That, that's, that's kind of the analog for it. That would be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right, and it is, it's super bizarre. And here's the thing. I know that there are some guys out there who can swing it. It's really about the the aggregate though, and the fact that they just don't train for it. They're not asked to. I don't. Um, see, I don't. I don't mind that part. And honestly, I I prefer seeing the 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 strategy that goes into the National League game. Uh, at the same time, you can't have you just can't you can't have half of the league playing with different rules. It just it makes no sense, especially with interleague play happening every day now. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense that. That uh, that a team is playing with one rules one night, and then the next night has to play with completely different rules. Well, if you build your roster to your rule set, yeah. and then you're in the you know World Series, and then you have to adjust, it's silly. All of a sudden, um, Jenny Martinez has to play in the outfield. Has this, to fi- figure it out out yeah. in the outfield exactly. The strategy piece is so overrated, though. It's so paint by numbers. Uh, the, there's the, there's an know? argument that there's less strategy in the NL because you know exactly when to do things. Because this loser who can't bat to save his life is going to come up, and you're like, well, I guess I'll take him out now because he's an automatic out. But I don't want to get into that. You've come around. Jimmy Nelson got hurt, not batting, but he was on base. Dope back in, busted up his shoulder, lost all of 18. Do not sleep on what he did last uh, last year, though. 2017, 175 innings with a 27% strikeout rate, 7% walk. 
I uh, had an 11% swing strike rate, which was a career high, 349 ERA, 125 whip, a lot of positives there. There was still some of that Nelson volatility, but the skills really finally came together. We'd seen kind of glimpses of it before, but he really put things together. And I think it was um, kind of having a more reliable third pitch finally. And it was that curveball that ended up being the pitch. He still doesn't have a changeup. It's, it's two breakers and a fastball similar to Herman Marquez. But I think he's somebody that if he has a good spring, he's really going to shoot up boards. Like I said, I'm already going to boost him into probably around the 70 range um, on mine. I've got him 82 right now. Tell us what you like about Nelson and, and how high you're willing to take him. Well, he finally figured out how to get out right-handed hitters in, in 2017. Uh, and that, that was a big deal. <laughs> um, I, Nelson's Major been a, deal. Nelson's been a guy that I've been on for a number of years, and I finally jumped off board going into last season. So, of course, he breaks out uh, and has an amazing season. <laughs> and um, It just, you know, it just pained me. But uh, the strides he made last year are legitimate. Now, it all comes for 2019. It all comes down to health. I had him ranked, and I got a lot of heat for it coming into 2018. I had him ranked... I think just outside of my top 50 pitchers and people really kind of, uh, you know, fought back on me and said, you don't know when he's coming back and mm-hmm. uh, timetables can be extended. I'm like, Oh, he's that was my to be back concern. in May. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's what, that's what scared me about mm-hmm. Nelson was whenever somebody's guaranteed a month, um, I'm pretty much out at for, that for every Matt Carpenter situation. You have 20 Jimmy Nelson situations and uh and we we got Matt Carpenter right like we nailed it we said that mm -hmm. first month's gonna be a little bit bumpy and then boom he's gonna take off don't cut him don't bench him don't do anything just buy shares of him we nailed it so I'm supposedly things are going fine in that he's technically done with his rehab and he's gonna have a a a regular off season okay uh so that is a really good sign that it's not turning into like a Kelvin uh, Kelvin uh, Escobar type situation where we just never hear from him again. Because uh, that was my fear as as things started to progress uh, was that we that he was just never going to be the same. So it's going to fade, yeah. Especially because the Brewers were in the playoff race, they had every reason to, to get, try to, yeah. to to get him ready for this year and didn't, and that's really scary. Uh, I'm gonna believe David Stearns, who who said that uh, he is uh, you know gonna be ready to start spring training, and if the velocity's there, if the same movement uh, on his pitches are there, uh, especially with the curve, I'm I'm gonna be right back in, uh, and I think I will probably have him uh, inside of my top. Two. 60. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm going to bump him right up to about and, 70. And then he could jump. And then he could jump huge. Because, I mean, I yep. had him, I think, ugh, I, I should probably look where I had him coming into this season. Well, I, I probably had him at 50 because of the injury. But, uh, yeah, I, I could see him jumping into my top 40 come draft day uh, if he looks good in spring training. I can see it, too. Like I said, I'm going to go 70, like right off the top here for the winter one. And then as we get more information, if he is, in fact, healthy than Jimmy Nelson, uh, I could see him going as, as high as that, too. And I'm not too worried. Like, I know the there's going to be pushback. Well, what about innings? Because uh, he didn't pitch at all last year. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and go 200 necessarily, but he is 30. He has three 170-plus inning seasons under his belt. I don't know that they're going to have to baby him. He's kind of out of that injury nexus of having to uh, greatly worry about things. If he's ready to go, I think he will get a, a pretty full workload. And they're going to have some depth, I think, next year that they don't have to necessarily push him for 32. But give me 27 starts with a few, you know, scheduled breaks here where they kind of skip them to let, uh, you know, Corbin Burns get a spot start or whatever, and if I'm fine with that. Brewers are a team that like the opener, and he's a guy that maybe they could use an opener on and let mm-hmm. someone go an inning or two in front of him. At the same time, in order for the opener to work well like it did in Tampa Bay this year, you also have to have, uh, you know, one or two guys like Blake Snell who are going to provide you uh, a lot of innings, at least from one or two of your rotation spots. So, And if Nelson can be a guy who can do 170, that really helps the Brewers. Yes, uh, no doubt. You know, take some of the heat off of, because Hader can't throw every day. Unlike in the playoffs, he cannot throw yes. every day. 
you, you'll wear him out, and then he won't be any good for the playoffs, too. So you have to be smart about it. Uh, obviously, if Knievel doesn't go through his downs that he had this year, that where he had to get sent down and everything, um, you know, that that will help bridge the gap as well. So I like Jimmy Nelson a lot. I'm totally with you. I just kind of had him 82 here, and then as I started already to kind of look into their staff in particular, because I like Woodruff, uh, Freddie Peralta is interesting. I like a lot of what they're doing. Even Chassin, who's a little bit boring. Um, and definitely not somebody that people are, you know, going to be trying to take a bunch. I like him in deep leagues as just a steady innings guy, and and they're going to use him as that you mentioned that to do the opener strategy and and rely on your bullpen a lot. You do need guys who can eat some innings, and Shasin's uh, going to be there as well. So Milwaukee's very interesting, but uh, that's going to wrap us up. I am uh, getting out of town tomorrow, headed into Arizona for the uh, Arizona Fall League slash Baseball HQ first pitch. Arizona Conference, very excited. We will miss you, but uh, you yeah. will be there next year. There is no two ways around it. It yes. must happen. Yes, I will not we'll be having be any more children. No uh, kids. And I have no more siblings to get married during the Arizona Fall League. So uh, it's uh, I am guaranteed uh, to be at AFL uh, 2019. So, uh, But you have a lot of fun, buddy. and. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I will. And we will have the pod with um, Eno and Jason scheduled Ooh. there for Friday. Uh, you don't know this other guy, oh. Jason Collette, and then a guy you don't know. Don't worry about it. He's not replacing you. I don't even know if he's that good. They're, I think we're not recording anymore, right? So they're making us do it. I don't want to do it. Um, he, all he does is talk about sandwiches. I uh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. Get him dude. drunk I, before the podcast. And then we can make up some players, right? Yes. He'll say Tom Murphy doesn't exist. <laughs> no, I can't wait for it. Uh, the only thing that will be missing is the fact that you won't be there, but uh, we'll be sending you uh, tweets and snaps and, and, and kind of helping you live vicariously through it. Uh, but we will have that pod. I did say that Nick and I were going to do one this week. That's probably not going to happen now unless I could do it tomorrow from Arizona with him. So that's more of a TBD. But I'll just uh, put him up on the panel with you guys uh, in Eno. Oh, he's not going to be there. He's not going. What? Couldn't get him in. Couldn't get him in. He'll be there next year as well. It, it sold out, man. That That's the thing. Listen, Whoa. it's great. I love it because we promote it, and hopefully we had a a, a push yes. in that that helped get it sold out. But this has never happened. I, I First off, I will freely admit I'm a bit of a procrastinator. That is a problem. But I usually have literally no issue making all the plans for everything in early September for something that happens in early November. So I go to do that and I go to, you know, want to go to Brent and say, hey, going to bring Nick Pollock and everything. Is that going to be, you know, uh, a viable situation with everything? And it's everything sold out. And it's just like it was done. And, and then figuring out the hotel situation because I'm staying with somebody who already had it, it was it was just a pain. And uh, a bit, but again, a good pain because the conference is sold out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and you and Nick will be there next year without a doubt. So uh, look for the podcast this weekend. And then you and I will be back next week talking more something. We don't know yet. But we'll figure it out. All right. Safe travels. 